The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 117 Pawns 1886, May 4th, Ilium, Colorado I sat across from Ajax, trying to regain my composure. The truth of what a future with the Baron could have been, and may still be for someone else, darkened my thoughts. I'm not trying to stop the future Odysseus can see. I wish my motivations were that pure. I wish I could lie to you and say that they were, but they're not. I just want to be free to marry the woman I love. I agreed to marry the Baron because I knew somewhere in the world was my soulmate, and if I married him, I would find her. Only Lucy ever believed me. Everyone else told me I was crazy. But the day we left Chicago, I met Anna. My Paris! And that was the day I knew it was all true. Ajax, do you know what the first rule of witchcraft is? I asked him. No, I know nothing of witchcraft, he said. The first rule of witchcraft is not to lie to yourself, because if you lie to yourself, you will not understand reality, and if you do not understand reality, then you are doomed to make mistakes. I understand the reality that says none of this is real, a coincidence. I understand that in that reality, the Baron is Agamemnon, because I decided he was, because he fit the role. A coincidence, and where coincidence didn't fit my narrative, I changed that narrative. I can understand I altered the truth when it didn't fit my needs. I started this war, and it's my fault. It's my fault because I don't want to be married to any man. And that is all my father thought I was good for. And I can understand a reality where it's all true. Reincarnation, the gods, Paris and Helen once again in the towers of Ilium, fighting for their lives. What I need from you is to understand reality as it stands right now, because we cannot go back and change what I've done. The only way into the future is through the fate I set in motion. Cassandra, will you please explain to Ajax what will happen if the cavalry advances on the bar? He won't believe me. No one ever believes me. Cassandra complained. It doesn't matter. I believe you, and the truth of it cannot be denied. <sighs> if the men across the street try to take the bar, Paris, Alice, and I will use the guns and ammunition we have to stop the first wave. We won't have the luxury of being kind. We will have to shoot to kill, and each one of us is very deadly. There is a 9% chance at this point we can kill enough men charging across the street to break the morale of the men behind them and push them back into the railway station. There is a 91% chance at this point, while we are trying to reload after the first wave, the soldiers will make it to the front door. As they enter, Edgar and the boys will pull them down and begin fighting with their fists. But there are only 12 of them, and the soldiers will have guns. Paris will most likely join the fight along with Colin, but between the guns involved and the overwhelming numbers, 
Eventually, we will be overrun. The soldiers will kill everyone except Helen, and probably Odysseus. If Paris is not among the first to die, then most likely the Baron will lose 75% of his men. If Paris goes down early, then the number will probably be around 50%. If we lose both Paris and Edgar early, then it drops to 25 Cassandra stopped talking, and once again the room fell silent. I slipped down off the chair and onto my knees. Ajax, I'm begging you, please, don't kill my family. Save them. Save yourself. Save your men. We don't want to have to kill them. We don't want to die. We just want to be free. I begged him. I don't know what you want me to do about it. I don't have that kind of power, he answered. Paris stepped forward. She stood between me and Ajax, then knelt down in front of me. Her right hand reached up and caressed my cheek, brushing a tear I hadn't noticed away. Her eyes darted down to her left hand. I looked down, curious as to what drew her attention. She opened her hand for just a moment to show me six bullets sitting in her palm. As soon as I saw them, she closed her hand and then slipped them into her waistcoat pocket. I will always keep you safe, she whispered to me as she pulled me up to sit me back down in the chair. A queen does not beg. I never want to see you do that again. Do you understand? She asked. I shook my head. Yes, I understand. Paris turned to Cassandra. Cassie, whatever happens next... Don't shoot Ajax. Promise me when he's ready to leave this bar, you will escort him and make sure he's safe until he walks out the front door. No matter what happens. Got it? Paris asked. Got it. Cassandra replied. Finally, Paris turned to Ajax. She kicked him in the chest. His chair toppled backwards and he fell onto the floor. She reached down, grabbing him by his lapels. She picked him up off the floor and shoved him against the wall. She slapped him across the face and then yelled, Wake up, Captain of the Cavalry. Wake up and see what's really going on. I had to shoot my friend. Do you understand that? I shot the Viper because he was trying to save your life. Do you know why? Because he believes you to be a good man. He believes you want to be a hero. You want to do the right thing. So do you? Do you stand for justice like your books claim? Or do you follow orders? You came here to find me, to take revenge on the Reaper. Do you want revenge? The Reaper is gone. You will never bring him to justice. So what's left other than revenge? Here is your test. Are you a good man? Do you want to do the right thing and be a hero? Or do you just want to hurt people because people hurt you? Take this. Paris pulled from her holster the single-action army pistol. She cocked the hammer and handed it to Ajax. That is the gun of the Reaper. That is the gun that killed thirty men at the fort. That is the gun I have carried since I was ten years old. And that is the gun that killed your father. Paris pulled Ajax forward off the wall. Holding him by the collar of his shirt, she forced him to stand in front of me. Here's your chance! He hurt you when he took your father from you. I hurt you just now. So here is the only chance to take the revenge you've been seeking. Raise that pistol and kill Helen. 
The Baron has ordered you to do it. I know he has, because I know what kind of man he is. He is not a good man. If you are going to allow the cavalry to kill us, then don't do it from an armchair like the Baron would. Have the grit of a real gunslinger and pull the trigger yourself. Kill an innocent woman and take your revenge. Odysseus stood frozen in shock. I patiently stared up at Ajax, knowing there were no bullets in that gun. Cassandra rolled her eyes, and her expression reminded me of the way Paris looked while watching the melodrama. Hector stood stoic, with his arms crossed over his chest. He looked amused. Ajax was white as a sheet. He was shaking as Paris raised his hand for him, aiming the gun at me. The hammer is cocked! Just pull the trigger, Ajax! Do it! Do it now! Paris ordered. Ajax finally broke and threw the gun to the ground. It slid across the floorboards and under the bed. He turned around to face Paris. He shoved her away from him, and she let him. I can't! I don't kill people! I save them! I'm not a hero, all right? I'm not a gunslinger! I'm not a killer! Ajax yelled as tears began to form in his eyes. Paris pulled him into a hug and held him. You can be. You can be a hero. You can do what your father never had the courage to do. You can be the man the viper believes you to be, she said as she stepped back and set her hand on his shoulder. How? Go back to the baron. Tell him, if he wants me dead, he's gonna have to pull the trigger himself. If you do that, then, to me, to Helen, you will always be Ajax, captain of the cavalry. Hero of the West. Philocides groaned as he woke up. He set his arms on the mattress in an attempt to pull himself up from the bed. When he felt the pain in his shoulder and remembered, a hand pushed him back down, and he opened his eyes to see who was holding him. Sitting on the edge of the bed next to him was Penthesilia. Celia, I... what happened? Where am I... You've done so many stupid things today, I'm not exactly sure how far back I have to go. What do you remember? Penthesilia asked. Ajax cut my shirt open. He replied. Well, you passed out. They got the bullet out of you and patched you up. The general consensus is that you're going to live. Did the whiskey girl kill Ajax? No. Your friend is still alive. He's downstairs playing poker. He's been hovering over you like a distraught girlfriend. Whiskey Girl had to drag him out. You and he aren't. Penthesilia held up one hand. Putting her thumb and forefinger together, she made a circle. With her other hand, she stuck a finger through the circle and moved it back and forth. Philocides laughed. No, no, I, I only have eyes for you, my queen. Ajax is just my friend, but when you only have one... That friend can become very important to you. He's an idiot. But since you kicked me out of the Amazon, I really didn't have anywhere else to go but back to Washington, and he was there for me. I didn't kick you out. I wanted you to stay. You're one of us. You're always one of the Amazons. But you left no place for me. I wanted to be at your side, but you stopped seeing me. You wouldn't 
give me something to do, any job I would find, any task I would take as my own. I, It wouldn't be a few days before some new girl would come up into the camp and you'd give it to them, asking me to step aside so they could feel wanted and needed. Did you think just because I'm a man I don't need to feel wanted and needed? The Amazon is so important to you, I, I wanted to help you build it. I wanted to be with you, I, I loved you, but there was no place for me. Mark, I'm sorry. The girls, especially when they're new, they just always seem so fragile. I just, I was trying to help them. I didn't mean to push you away. And you're right. The Amazon is important to me. It always has been. And I didn't mean to make you feel lesser. But it's so big. It's such an enormous dream. It pushes everything else out of me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't know how to love you. I still don't. Now, who's the idiot? I grew up in a brothel with a mother who thinks she's the goddess of love, but I never got it. I never understood half the things she said. I didn't love Richard. I never loved William. But I wanted to love you, Mark. I don't know if it's the same thing, but I wanted to love you. I know I've failed. I'm sorry. They both stared at each other, saying nothing, until a smile broke across Philocides' face. He began to laugh. <laughs> Don't laugh at me! It's not funny! But Penthesilea couldn't help laughing with him. They both lost control of the laughter and became so loud and strong that Philocides held his hand up to the bandage at his chest and tried to calm his laughter. Oh, oh, ah, ah, <laughs> stop, I can't, I can't take it. Philocides set his hand on Penthesilea's, squeezing it. She calmed down, too, and looked at him. Why is that so funny? What are we laughing at? She asked. Us. We're laughing at ourselves. Those kids downstairs and all the girls in the Amazon, how do they find love so easily? Is it easier when you're younger? How did we fuck it up so bad? I don't know. Fate, I guess. What if I came home? What if I returned to the Amazon with you? Philocides asked, still holding on to her hand. <laughs> well, then you will have a place at my side. You will have a place at my table. And you will have a place in my bed. I don't know if that's the love you're looking for. But that's what I have to offer, and it's yours if you want it. But you're not going to call me Billy, are you? <laughs> Everybody gets a nickname. I have a nickname. It's Viper. I don't need another one. Think of it more like a rank or a title. Would it help you if I called you Lord Billy? <laughs> Dear God, no. Celia, what now? What's next? To start with, you're going to kiss me. Yes. My queen, I am yours to command. Agamemnon paced back and forth. He knew he'd lost control of the cavalry, and that another pawn had been lost to the other side of the board. Helen is playing this game better than she played chess. What has Penelope taught her? I would like to strangle the woman if I could. 
Maybe I could send someone back to New York to strangle her for me. No, he thought. If I kill them both, I will have no leverage to control Odysseus. And I must have Odysseus. I need more men. His mind told him. He sent Achilles to fetch his lead overseer, and the man in charge of maintaining the train. The two of you need to return to the camp. Get the train running. Bring the railroad workers, as many as you can fit in the cars we have. Pay them double, triple, whatever it takes. Yes, sir. It may take half a day or so to get back. I'm not sure how long it'll take to fix the train. I understand. We will hold position here, but I will need those men, so be quick as you can. Don't spare the horses. Sir, we will get them here if we have to march them into town. You can rely on us. Then you will be well rewarded. Hurry, go. Agamemnon ordered. The men turned and ran for their horses. There are over three hundred railroad workers. With every car attached to the train, they could probably fit a hundred, a hundred and fifty altogether. If they squeeze in, maybe even two hundred. It won't matter that they're not trained soldiers. They would be able to swarm over that bar. Helen has lost. There is no way out for her. Okay, so maybe we were both a little hungover at the time, Ajax explained. He was sitting across the table from Paris. All the cards had been dealt, and a pile of change sat in front of them. Hector had already folded. Alan and Poe were sneaking glances at each other's cards. Ajax was telling a story, and the awkward man was finally in his element. His smile was broad, his hands were animated, and his Philocides impersonations were flawless. There was this delegation from Georgia we had been drinking with the night before, and we kind of forgot we had a show to do at county fair somewhere in Massachusetts. I don't remember where anymore. So we barely made it in time, and they pushed us through the crowd to get us to the stage. I got up and immediately launched into my speech. You know, for justice and all that Captain the Cavalry stuff. The crowd is loving every moment of it. When the viper comes out, he nearly trips over his own feet, then challenges me to a quick draw. We've done this hundreds of times, but when I turn to him, I see he has forgotten his gun. Now, I'm supposed to refuse the quick draw, and he's supposed to show off his gun work, but the stage is rigged with several set pieces that fall and spin and spit water when he shoots at them, with the gun full of blanks. The stagehands behind the scenes are supposed to knock things over as he shoots them. So he yells, as normal, On the count of three, draw your gun. And it takes everything I have not to just burst out laughing right there. Instead, I put on my serious face and I look at him and I ask, On the count of three, I pull my gun, and then you're going to do what? For a moment, he looks confused. This isn't in the script, and he's not great at improvising. He responds, Um, well, I'll pull my gun first. What gun? I ask. Still trying not to laugh, but I am seconds from losing it. Finally, he looks down and sees he's forgotten his gun. So he reaches down into his boot, pulls out his knife, and puts it in his holster. 
On the count of three. One, he says. Now from this point on, we simply switch the words stab for shoot and knife for gun. But except for that, we go on with the script pretty much as written. Hold up, I say. You think you can stab me at this distance? We are standing about ten feet from each other. I could stab the wings of a horse fly at this distance. I could stab you with my eyes closed. Now, I'm beginning to realize this last-minute improvisation isn't going to work, but we've gone this far, and I figure one way or another it's going to be entertaining, even if it's only to me. So, I keep going. Could you stab the sign above the barn door? I ask the viper. He responds by pulling his knife out of his holster and pointing it at the barn door and yelling, STAB! The stagehands go with it, and they spin the sign from a hidden crank behind the set. Could you stab the knothole in the water tower? I point in the distance to the water tower above the audience. The viper once again pulls his knife and yells, STAB! The stagehands pull the plug out of the water tower, and water streams down onto some of the people in the audience. They laugh and move to the side. If the audience realizes something was going wrong, they didn't say anything, and everyone is smiling and squealing. It may seem stupid, but somehow the whole stab thing is working, so we keep going. Well, okay, those were easy, but could you hit something smaller, like the flower pot above the windowsill? I ask him, and he pulls out his knife and yells, STAB! The flower pot topples over. We do this three more times, with three other objects. Now if he had his gun on him, he would have fired six times. So I hunker down, and I put my hand on my holster. All right, Viper, you've got yourself a quick draw. Go ahead, count to three. I told him. He put his hand next to his holster and began to count. When he reached three, he pulled the knife from his holster, pointed at me, and yelled, STAB! Finally, I couldn't take it anymore, and I began to laugh out loud. I said stab, the viper repeated, but I am losing it, especially because I know what I have to say next. I pulled the gun from my holster slowly and pointed at him. This is the end for you, viper. I am finally going to bring you to justice. You already stabbed your knife six times. There aren't any more stabs in it. <laughs> Ajax ends his story, and I laugh with the rest of the bar. Everyone was listening to him, and I could see why he's so popular in Washington. He's friendly and happy, a gifted storyteller who likes to share his joy with everyone around him. If beauty is my weapon, then humor is his. I'm happy he's on our side. I'm relieved Paris didn't have to kill him. Of all your lives, I think this one... You are the most thoughtful. I have never seen you consider the people around you with such care. I have never seen you worry so desperately about reality and life. You seem to catalog every piece of it. You analyze every moment. Hades said, as he leaned up against the railing next to me. We were standing on the walkway to the room upstairs, staring down at the bar below us. Lord Hades... I'm glad you're here. Now that is a sentence I don't think any living human has said for at least 500 years. Can I ask you a question? Of course. What would you like to know? 
Am I the priestess of Ares? <laughs> the priestess of Ares? Why would you think that? Agamemnon told me I was. He said that's why he wanted me, because no matter where I go, I start wars. The face that launched a thousand ships and fell the towers of Ilium. No, my dear. You are not the priestess of Ares. And it's not war that follows you. I would have thought Penelope to have taught you better. Am I a priestess? Oh, yes. Then to who? Who answers your prayers? Who comes when you call? Persephone? Am I a priestess of Persephone like Penelope is? I asked, not being able to hide my joy at the thought. He smiled at me. She has been attentive to your plight, hasn't she? But no, she is not your patron. Hmm. Then who? Easy enough to find out. Close your eyes. He commanded. I did as he asked, and stood with my eyes closed. Now, pray in earnest. Ask your god to reveal himself to you. To the god who claims me as their own, please show yourself, I say with my hands folded in front of me. Now, open your eyes, he commanded. I opened them to find that nothing had changed. No one had come. I was standing upstairs in the bar exactly as before. Nothing happened. Nobody came. Nobody? He asked and smiled at me. You? Me. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you know? <laughs> death? I bring death with me wherever I go? It only seems like it's war that follows you. The truth is, it's me that is forced to follow war. I never cared for Ares. He makes too much work for me. He's like a child that leaves his toys lying about the room and I'm always forced to clean up after him. So, of course, my priestess is forced to jump from war to war. She is a comfort to those who will pass. <laughs> and Paris? The champion of Aphrodite. <sighs> Why does it have to be like this? Why do we keep circling around this hurricane? Will we ever live a life of peace away from this war? It's fate. It's tied to the reincarnation cycle, a side effect of life and death. It's one of the ways they punish me for what I did. Kidnapping Persephone? I did not kidnap Persephone. Did Paris kidnap you? Did she take you against your will? There is no way that any reasonable person hearing the truth of what happened would ever think I kidnapped her. Well, what happened? Would you really like to know? Would you really like to know? Would you want to know my story, the true story, at least as much as you could understand it? I would. I would be honored to hear it. All right. <sighs> Somewhere around 75,000 years ago. It may have been longer. It's hard to tell because at the time, time itself was not moving. Hades began his story. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Lee, artwork by Helen Lee, performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead. 
except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you. Thank you.